0: This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. Golf, Golish, and great stuff from baseball, except it wasn't in a win. Still, a lot of dramatic highlights. We'll have those for you in our second block. The Bulls lose to North Florida. That's six in a row for the Ospreys over USF, but it was a back-and-forth affair filled with dramatic moments, some well-hit balls that got caught at the wall, and some replays at the end that were close calls, obviously, and the Bulls go back into conference play tomorrow. On that note, tomorrow we will give you, of course, full information on both the softball and baseball opponents as it'll be the first of a three-game series for both teams as the softball team hosts Tulsa, And baseball takes on Tulane. What we'll do here today is at the end of the hour, we go around the American. We'll tell you a little bit about those teams. We will not be doing a Bulls beat on Thursday. I've been sort of taking a day off as it's been the heart of play-by-play season one day each week. And since that day, I will really be trying to focus my attention on the opponents and making sure we're well informed for the broadcast. And after about a 15-hour day yesterday, which was very enjoyable, and you're going to hear the highlights of which here momentarily, especially what football coach Alex Gulish had to say, and again, baseball, we will not be doing a Bulls beat on Thursday. Before we get to the head football coach, some interesting updates as far as spring practice and a little bit of a hint at what's to come for the spring game next Friday. We'll give you some golf, and both the men and the women finished their last events of the regular season, and both finished very strong. We'll start off with the women because they are trying to make the NCAA tournament For the first time in more than 10 years, the last time the Bulls went, they were in 2012 in Columbus, Ohio, ended up in 19th place. The last time they actually advanced in the NCAA tournament was more than 20 years ago. That's why we're definitely highlighting this team, which at least is looking like it's going to make a strong push to get into the NCAA tournament. They played in an event with not a whole lot of teams ranked ahead of them, and that's kind of the game you play with the rankings you try not to get in too many events where frankly your chances of finishing high aren't that great but you also don't want to get into too many events where you're sure going to finish up high in the leaderboard but it's going to be against a bunch of teams ranked in the 200s well this was a pretty good mix the chattanooga classic you only had one team in the top 50. Plenty of teams in and around where the Bulls are in the rankings, and they did a good job. They finished ahead of all but three of them, the only ranked team as far as top 50 goes. SMU ran away with this event for its, as we talked about on yesterday's show, third win in a row, fourth of the season. The Mustangs were 14 under par. They will be a force to contend with at the conference tournament, more on the conference tournament as we get closer to it in a few weekends from now. Xavier was second at 6-over, then Augusta at 9-over, and the Bulls, fourth place alone at 11-over par, and that's no small thing. They entered the day in sixth. They were midway through their final round in the seventh spot, and at the very end of the round, they were tied with Notre Dame for fourth. Well, Notre Dame, again, back to the whole rankings thing, came in 89th. Minnesota, which was ahead of the Bulls for a little bit, Came in 61st while the Bulls were 57th. So a big deal that they finished where they did. And their 6-under par was the second best score in that final round. The Bulls ended up 11-over, but again 6-under on the final day when they needed to finish strong. That's called clutching up. Melanie Green had an eagle on the 18th hole, actually a tap-in eagle on a 500-yard hole. Then she actually finished on the 6th. With a bogey, but she had birdied three of her four before that. And that shot her up to, again, a 468 round and top 15 finish, one over par. The big news was Leo. Leonor Manderos, who is one of the more popular student athletes in any sport. And, oh, yeah, she played her best golf as a bull with their very first top 10 finish. She finished one under par, birdied three of her last six holes after she had been, of course, 2 over par for her round. Also in the final round, Bulls got a solid 1 under par from Juliana Camargo, her best round of the event, and finally an even par from Lauren Heinlein. They both finished at 7 over par for the event, but again, saved their best rounds for last. Maderos was very consistent, 74-71-71. First time she's been the top scorer for the Bulls. She started this season not in the starting lineup, or at least in the spring. MG, Melanie Green finished 74-75-68, tied for 14th. Then it was Camargo and Heinlein, both, as I mentioned, 7 over par, tied for 31st. You know, the Bulls' Alize Vidal, along with Green, made the NCAA tournament last year as individuals. Vidal at, well, there's this connection again, Kennesaw State. Her score actually only counted in one of the three rounds, so it could have even been a better result. But really, Maderos kind of picked up the slack, and that's what it's all about. Head coach Erica Brennan said... The back nine was electric, and the Bulls were feeding off one another and lighting it up. They got just enough red numbers there at the end, while their nearest competitors, Notre Dame and Minnesota, for example, Notre Dame, for each golfer on their last handful of holes, no birdies, one double bogey compared to the Bulls. Mentioned MG's bogey, but again, everybody as it was coming down to their last five holes, she had three birdies in that stretch. Camargo dumped one in, Heinlein birdied three of her last six holes, and Medeiros three of her last five. That's what you need. Next up for the Bulls, the AAC tournament, we will get the updated computer rankings, let you know where they are, hopefully closer to the top 50, and talk to Coach Brennan and some of the individuals on the team. We'll plan that for next week. Same thing with men's golf, which finished in second place. We told you yesterday How really, for stuff that's more important than golf, you were hoping that Chattanooga would win a personal tragedy that the head coach who was not with the Mocs is going through. Well, Chattanooga destroyed the field, had already set its school record for a 36-hole start, and then improved upon that with a 19-under par final round. Chattanooga, the only top 50 team at the Wofford Invitational, finished 43-under par. So it was all about second place. And 30 shots back, but in second place, in the field of 17, your USF Bulls. They shot a 9-under, and two golfers had their best rounds as Bulls, Sam Nicholson, in his fourth year. Eagle, five birdies, no bogeys, 7-under, 64. Also in his best performance as a Bulls, freshman from Sweden, Nino Palmquist, a 3-under par. Both those individuals finished in the top 10, Nicholson, 9-under par, again, 7-under on Tuesday. Fourth place, Palmquist, 6-under par, tied for 6. The winner, kind of going away once again, Chattanooga, had John Houck at 17-under and Paul Conroy at 15-under. Then Adam Hooker from Western Carolina 11, Sam Nicholson at 9-under par. A third bull was in the top 10, Jake Peacock. He had a 69 for a 200-final round and a 5-under final score. The bulls, again, well off the lead, but... They shot 9-under in the final round. The two teams that finished right underneath them were 5-under and 6-under for their final day. And only one other school in the field finished even under par for the whole event. So 13-under was a very solid showing. Now, just being honest, we gave you the women's golf situation as far as the tournament they were in. A lot of teams in the 70s and 80s range. In this one, a lot of teams ranked outside of the top 100, so it is not going to help Bulls as far as their ranking goes. They are still going to have to win the AAC tournament, and that is their next event. It's two and a half weeks away. They are hosting it, so more on that again as we get closer to the event. Hey, we're getting closer to the spring football game. Yesterday, we had a nice session with head coach Alex Gullish. First of all, a general update.
1: Had a scrimmage on Saturday, uh, went about 102 plays. Went really well in terms of of how they attacked it. Went through pregame for the first time. What a countdown to kickoff looks like, pregame looks like. And I thought it was actually as smooth as anything could have gone. Had about 300 recruits there. It was was really, really a good day Saturday. Beat up a little bit at certain spots. Uh, Would love to get healthy um, for going into the spring game. I think we'll still be a little bit beat up at certain spots. So we'll see what that looks like next Friday, but excited for practice 10 today. Um, We've got, got a shells practice today, a little bit of situational football. We'll have an indoor practice tomorrow, um, all red zone work. And then we'll scrimmage again Friday morning. Uh, It'll be a shorter version of the scrimmage and then give the guys Easter weekend off and then come back, get ready, get ready for Friday night.
0: That was the first of several mentions of the health of the team and, it will probably temper your expectations as far as how much is going to happen on the spring game. We'll get there in just a minute. But one thing he said that I wanted to ask him about was the whole, wait a second, you practice pregame, but again, it goes down to covering all the details and he explains why very well here.
1: We essentially played it out exactly like it would going into a game. So guys had, had uh, breakfast and then went into the locker room and worked a countdown clock like you normally would starting at 80, counting down from... How they stretch to getting taped to putting their equipment on to what the pregame routine looks like for for skill guys for returners for for us as a team what a five minute individual period looks like on a game day um, to us throwing a little bit of seven on seven team and then uh, how we would bring it up and go into the locker room so essentially we'll get that three times this spring and then we'll get it three times in the fall and then obviously we'll kick it off in Bowling Green Kentucky not so much the practice of it looking right as much as just like anything else you're doing you want to take any pressure or any anxiety off the kids for when it actually matters so to me we'll do it essentially six times that way the kids don't have to think about it honestly in a lot of ways our coaches don't have to think about it as with anything you're trying to do especially the closer you get to game day any anxiety or unknowing you want to take out anything we can control let me control such as travel, pregame, the ease of understanding what's what's expected. Um, that way, the only unknown is when you start playing ball and, and you're just trying to take anything that could add a stressor off.
0: Definitely learned a lot from the coach about some of the reasons why they do what they do. Learned a lot about the phrase, be who you say you are. We'll save that for another time, but you're probably wanting to know more about the spring game. And again, because of the injuries, it could change the... Well, it could change the format.
1: Originally, my thought was to try to get to a split-squat scrimmage. I don't think numbers-wise we'll be able to do that at certain spots, like wide out. Um, I think O-line-wise, I think it would be unhealthy to do that. So as of last week, my thought was to go OD, do some situational football, do some drives, and then do something fun competition-wise, whether it's one-on-ones or, or one-on-one pass or something fun that, and uniquely different. As I think we'll see next Monday into Tuesday where we are health-wise, and then come up with the best plan. I want to use it as a practice. I also understand it's the first time anybody gets to see what we are. I so said I think a lot of it will have to do with with health of where our guys are. Like anybody that's like dinged up, I'm I'm being really really cautious of to put somebody out there knowing that now we're four months out from the season. Trying to protect our, our guys, too, a little bit. Behind closed doors, you, you're you working through evaluations. I think when you get out there and there's actually, you've got to make some decisions on, man, is it smart to, this guy's a little bit banged up or really tight, whatever it may be, like, do you really put him out there? And to me, the answer would be no.
0: As someone who, along with Jim Lighthall and Joey Johnston, will be calling play-by-play next Friday on USF Bulls Unlimited, I was worried about, you know, maybe it being a screwy scoring system. It sounds like it's possible that we won't be keeping any score, but we'll learn probably early next week about all of that and we'll pass it on to you in case you're coming to the game and can't listen to it because you're there what the scoring system will be if there is one he did say that they're really looking to get more depth on the defensive line starting to get their linebacker and are there in the secondary with a lot of productive individuals and we also heard from Tremel Logan and Jalen Shuler we'll give you some of those guys in our second segment but more on the defense and why he brought in Todd Orlando this is good and also beginning with you know his evolution from being a fully offensive guy to now having to worry about that side of the ball as a head coach.
1: My perspective of what defensive football has changed in a lot of ways since I started calling offense, you know, you, you know, what, what gives you stress or what gives you problems offensively. Multiplicity is the first thing. Um, A defense that can be multiple. um, And that doesn't necessarily mean you blitz every play, but can present different pictures about three down, four down, five up, pressure looks, not pressure looks, show pressure looks, get out of pressure looks, unique pressures. Um, Those things that would stress you out trying to prepare a run game plan, a protection plan because of the multiplicity of pictures you get. Just like what we do on offense in terms of using tempo to our advantage, you inevitably force defenses to be either stagnant or out of alignment. And so defensively, you want to force offenses to either be stagnant or leave people unblocked. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is is a third down package where where you can get get the defense off the field. Um, you got to create create negatives, and you got to create sacks, and you got to create turnovers. You got to get the ball back. Um, so a combination of multiplicity. Uh, a havoc defense as, as it would be called in terms of creating negatives. Specifically on third down situational football um, are the two things you're looking for. Obviously, uh, requirement would be to play really hard and obviously be sound. I think that's a given, but multiplicity and creating havoc plays is critically important. Todd's unique because I coached against Todd. I remember those weeks, and this is specifically when he was at Texas and, and I was at Iowa State. I remember those weeks of of and this was three years of it of man, you have no idea what's what's gonna happen on any given play. Generally you have an idea of how a defense is gonna line up. And at the same time, defenses that are so multiple that they have a lot of time they have no idea where they're supposed to be either. And you can create explosives that way, like what was so unique about Todd's defense is that they're so multiple, but they're so sound. And
0: one more quick one from the coach is he was answering a question about, you know, wanting to be able to roll out as many defensive guys as you can, especially in that front seven, especially on a hot day in say the month of September and maybe October in Florida.
1: Yeah. Are you saying cause it's hot? Is it going to be really hot in September? Really? <laughs> the noon games suck. <laughs> amen
0: coach after he was done we also talked to a couple of members of the team and at the end of the press conference and I think he knew it was coming because you can definitely tell Alex Skolich is a very sharp individual but also has a good sense of humor I think he knew the details were coming that we could pass along to you in our second segment about what to look forward to outside of just the field of play we'll also give you some highlights of a wild Tuesday night baseball game as well when Bulls beat continues